this morning uh, for the sermon. Uh, we're in our series called Playlist. It's about worship songs and why they are what they are. And sometimes when I'm studying for my sermons, I like to find the artist. They'll have the backgrounds a lot of times on songs, and so it makes it good for me to know what they were thinking when they wrote it. And so this week's song, we have the artist with us, and so Walt's going to share with us on the context of the last song we sang. So Walt, it's yours. All right. Good morning. I'm going to move down here. Um, my caveat all the time when when I get to speak is that um, if you're a guest with us, make sure you come back next week because I'm sure it'll be a lot better. <laughs> I don't want to run anybody off. <laughs> uh, but uh, I do appreciate the opportunity when I do get to share. And, uh, this is a this, this song, this love song, uh, this last song that we sung. I wrote um, myself, um, oh, I don't know, a year or so ago. And uh, so I get to, get to have an opportunity. Pastor... Uh, came to me a few weeks ago and said, you know, we're doing this playlist and maybe you'd like to pick a song out that you'd like to talk about. Um, and so I came to him a couple weeks ago and said, you know, maybe I, I thought maybe I'd talk about the one that I wrote. And he said, you know, I got to thinking about it and I was thinking maybe I ought to talk about the one that you wrote. So, um, yeah, that uh, that worked out pretty, pretty well. So um, and so this song, um, it's kind of a, it's a three part song and. The, each of the three parts kind of has a different purpose. Um, I wrote each part for kind of a different uh, different purpose, but they all kind of go together. So the first part of the song is about preparation and positioning ourselves uh, for worship and putting ourselves in that place, um, examining ourselves, um, and then the second and and and, um, and then putting ourselves into God's presence, into that throne room into the Holy of Holies. The second part is about just praising Him and worshiping Him and remembering what He's done for us. Um, and then the third uh, part of the song is about what I believe the sacrifice that God really desires from us um, is more than just the praise of our lips, right? Um, he does desire the praise of our lips. He does desire the songs that we sing but he desires more than that from us, and that's what that third part of the song speaks to. So I'm going to just kind of take the song line by line and talk to you a little bit about one of the things that um, that, that Paul says, I believe it's in uh, 1 Corinthians, if I'm not mistaken. He talks about praying in, in the church in tongues, and and he says, if if I pray in church in tongues, how, how can you say amen if there's not an interpreter to tell you what, those tongues met, and I think that's a little bit of the the uh, approach that we're taking with this playlist series. Is we want to know that those the, the words of those songs that we're singing. What's the what's the meaning of those words? Is there a biblical basis for those words? Can I say Amen? Can I go before the throne room of God and bring that song as my sacrifice to Him? Um, and if I don't understand the song, if I don't know where it came from, or if they're just words that I'm singing along, pastors, pastors talked about, you know, singing along with the radio, and, and, well, that was kind of a dumb song. Well, we don't want to sing dumb songs. We want to sing songs that come from the heart, that we can sing and say, God, I mean these words. And so um, that's kind of what this opportunity is about um, in this playlist series, and that's the opportunity I want to take this morning to talk to you about 
what what my thought process is or was, what my inspiration was, uh, and um, how Scripture kind of backs up what I'm saying. I don't think we have to necessarily sing Scripture word for word, but what we do sing to Him should be based on Scripture and certainly shouldn't contradict Scripture. And So uh, I want to give you that background this morning. So the first line of the song is, I've come to you, Father, by the blood of the Son, to worship in spirit and in truth. And um, this is, there's, there's several uh, different passages of Scripture that, that were on my heart or that are on my heart. And, and they're on my heart every Sunday when I lead worship. There's just some things that I think are basic to the way that we worship God and the reason that we worship God, what inspires us. And the blood that Jesus shed, the price that he paid for us to be able to have relationship with him is always the core of, of, of my worship. That's the, my heart of worship. That's really what inspires me to worship is just the love that was expressed in, in that sacrifice. And so when we talk about the, the blood, I come to your father by the blood of the son, I think of several things. Um, Jesus says in John fourteen six, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the father but through me. And so, uh, so when we want to approach God and worship him, we really need to go through Jesus, go through his name and his blood and what he did for us. And then uh, Jesus also says when he's talking to the woman at the well, he talks about worshiping in spirit and in truth. And that's where that, that line um, to worship in spirit and in truth comes from. That's, you know, we want to worship him in spirit and in truth. We want to be honest with God and open with him. Um, but uh, further... It, you know, I'm, I'm saying a lot of things in, in one phrase, right? Um, I want to look at Hebrews chapter 9, uh, verse 11 uh, through 15. And um, kind of the rest of this line is captured in, in this passage and in Hebrews uh, 10, 19, 19 through 20. So uh, Hebrews 9, uh, uh, verse 11 says, But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place. And if you think about, you know, the Israelites um, in the in the, the the Old Testament tabernacle and the Old Testament temple, um, they had a, a a part that was called the holy of holies, and the priest could only go in there, and he could only go once a year, and he had to be purified by blood sacrifice. And if they didn't, they tied a rope on him and they put bells on him. Because if he didn't do it right, he died in there. And so they put bells on him, and when the bell, if the bells quit ringing and they didn't ring for long enough, they pulled him out with a rope because nobody could go in there and get him. That was the holiest of holies. And so this talks about Jesus going into the holy of holies. If you look at, uh, I think it's earlier in this passage, um, it talks about how that tabernacle, that wilderness tabernacle, and then the temple um, and the holy of holies that they built, those things were just a pattern of what exists in heaven. So in heaven, there's actually the real holy of holies. Those were a model, so to speak. Um, but in heaven, it talks about there's a real holy of holies. And Jesus, by his blood, went into that holy of holies. He laid his own blood as the sacrifice on that altar. And because of that, we can be washed clean by Jesus' blood and that allows us to go into the real of holy of holies and approach our Father. 
That's saying a lot for, for one little line, and that, but that's what I want to capture in the line of this song, is Jesus' blood actually washes us clean. We're clothed, able to be clothed with his righteousness, and then we're able to approach Father God face-to-face and heart-to-heart. That's what I'm talking about, about preparation and positioning. So we can prepare ourselves by the washing of Jesus' blood, and we've been washed by his blood. As believers, we need to examine ourselves. Um, And then uh, the word says that we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, that's making intercession for us. So even if if once we've been cleaned, if we sin again, we, we go right back to Jesus and we'd be washed clean again so that we're worthy not because of our own actions but because of what Jesus did, his blood that was shed that washed us clean, makes us worthy to go into the very presence of God. <clears throat> and that's what this is about. Um, Hebrews uh, chapter 10, 19, and 20 is going to talk about the veil that was torn. So um, when Jesus was crucified, it talks about the veil being torn. Well, that veil is what separated us from God as, as, as human beings the sin that, we, that, that was committed by mankind, that veil was put up to separate us from God. Jesus, by his blood, you'll see in, if you look in, in well, let's just go there. Hebrews 10 and 19 and 20. It says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest, by the blood of Jesus. This is exactly what I was talking about. So Jesus has washed us clean with his blood. Because we've been washed with that blood, if we've accepted him, if we've been born again, then we can enter into the holiest. Now, this isn't talking about the holy of holies that was in that wilderness tabernacle. This is talking about the true holy of holies that exists in heaven where Father God resides. So, 19 having boldness to enter in the holiest of by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh. So through his, he's made a way, his flesh that was torn and broken for us is the way that we have to go through that veil into the very presence, into the holiest of holies of God. And so that's, this first line is talking about positioning ourselves Preparing ourselves and positioning ourselves in, in his presence. Okay, the next line says, I cast down my idols, my fleshly desires, till there's nothing between me and you. Now, this is continuing on that preparation of ourselves, right? We're, we're setting those idols aside. Now, in full disclosure, when I sat down to write this song, I actually sat down intending to write a love song to my wife. <laughs> Which I've never been able to do, actually. Um, so... But but when I started to think about, and the intention was to write a song that I would only ever sing to her. She would be the only one to ever hear that. And I wanted to capture the intimacy of the relationship that we have. But when I began to think about the intimacy of that relationship, it took me to, to the intimacy of the relationship that we're supposed to have with Father God. And the the closeness that we're supposed to have with Him and how there's nothing... There should be nothing between us and Father God. And so that's where uh, the uh, I cast down my idols. You know, if if I get home from work and, and I want to have a nice evening with my wife, you know, um, 
I've been working for a tree company the last few months, and when I get home, I'm covered with saw or, or bar oil and chainsaw gas and wood chips, and I don't smell real good because I've been maybe working in the sun all day. And so there's things that I need to do to prepare myself if I'm going to have an intimate relationship with my wife. So I jump in the shower and I clean all that stuff up and, um, you know, put on my my brand new gray cowboy hat that she that I think she finds irresistible. But she says I'm just irrepressible when I have it on. I don't know what that means. But uh, I prepare myself for that moment, right? I prepare myself for when... When she comes home and guys, if you want a real tip, it's really not the cowboy hat that's going to do it for you. If you really, really want to impress her, make supper and do the dishes. I'm telling you, that's the you're getting that for free, guys. You don't have to pay any extra for that tip. But I promise you that's the move. All right. Moving on. This, this, this line is talking about preparing yourself uh, to, to enter into his presence. And there's a few, um, a, a few verses that uh, uh, come to mind when I think about that. Um, first, in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1, it says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us weigh, lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down on the right hand of the thr- or at the right hand of the throne of God. Okay, so this verse talks about laying down the sins of the things that trap us, the things that ensnare us, to um, and. In, in, in the song, I talk about casting down my idols. Well, you know, in the, in the Old Testament, we saw a lot of idols. And even in the New Testament, we, saw, we see idols. And it's typically referring to some kind of a graven image or something that man's made. And then people bow down and worship, right? And I think in, in our uh, the kind of the modern Christian lexicon, Idols has, has come to mean the things that we set between ourselves and God or the things that get in the way of our relationship with God, the things that we make more important than God in our lives. And so when I, that, that's what I'm talking about when I say cast down my idols. I'm examining my life and saying, you know, these things that I've made more important than you, I, I'm, I'm casting out and removing those from my life and I'm putting you in the proper place that you belong. I'm putting you in the number one position in my life. And so cast down my idols, my fleshly desires, until there's nothing that comes between us. That's the intimacy that I want to achieve with my Father God when I enter into praise and worship, is that I've, I've left everything else aside, that sin that's so easily ensnared, whatever it might be, that blood of Jesus that we talked about in the first, uh, first line takes care of that as well. Um, we could go to Ephesians. So most of us know the the passage in Ephesians chapter 5 where it talks about um, husbands loving our wives as Christ loved the church. Throughout Scripture, God compares the relationship that he has with us in uh, in the church with, with a marriage. And he calls us the bride of Christ. The church is the bride of Christ and those kind of things. And so that's why I say that 
there's an intimacy between us and God that 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 God himself his word compares to a marriage and so that's that's why I think it's appropriate to have to to approach him in in an intimate way where we're very open and honest it says all things are are open to him that with which we have to do the next line of the song says only you are worthy when i count up the cost of the sacrifice you're due and so this this uh line is repeated at the end of the song as well um and the context kind of changes between the first part of the song and the third part of the song. So in the context that we're talking about, we're talking about praising him and worshiping him, having intimacy with him. And so when we talk about uh, the sacrifice that he's due uh, in this line, um, I'm referring to the sacrifice of praise that, that we bring to uh, to him. Um, and, and in Hebrews 13, 15, uh, right there, it says, Therefore by him... Let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. And so that's what we're talking about in this in this verse is, is setting down everything that comes between us and giving honest and true praise with our lips uh, uh, to our Father God. Um, then it's the, the next line is, It's worth what is gained, though the world may be lost. To sing the, to bring this love song to you, um, and Mark Mark uh, eight thirty six says, uh, "What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul?" And and that's kind of the the concept here um, in this context. You know, uh, there's a lot of other things that we could do on a Sunday morning besides come and give him praise and. Praising him is something we should make that sacrifice every day to sacrifice the time uh, that it takes to come into his presence, to worship him, to praise him. Um, there's there's a sacrifice that's made there that sets us apart. Um, and that should be done daily to come into his presence and to, to glorify him, whether that's through our prayer, whether that's through song. On Sunday mornings, we come together corporately and worship him with song. Um, that's 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 a sacrifice of praise that that we give um, and should give on a daily basis. So then we move into the second section of the song that is kind of focused on praising and worshiping. So we've 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 prepared ourselves, we've positioned ourselves in His presence, and now we're going to actually praise and worship worship Him. So um, the first line says, "You're the Rock of all ages, King of all kings." Ruler of heaven and earth. So uh, this this uh, uh, line, "Rock of all ages," kind of goes back to an old hymn, right? We've all heard the hymn, "Rock of ages, cleft for me." And when I think of of calling God the Rock or Jesus the Rock, I think back to um, the the parable that we find in Matthew chapter seven. Uh, Matthew 7 and verse 24 is where it starts. And it says, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on a rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. 
But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and, and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended and floods came and winds blew and beat on that house and it fell and, it's, and great was its fall. So this parable is talking, it, Jesus is kind of comparing himself to that rock, right? We're establishing ourselves on that truth. We're establishing ourselves on that rock. And no matter what comes along, if we're established on that rock, if we've put our foundation on that rock, we're not going to be moved. We're not going to be swayed. So the rock of all ages, think about that. Jesus, throughout history, the generation after generation has been able to establish themselves on that rock if they, if they would choose. You know, I think about uh, my, my, going back to my grandparents. You know, they taught my dad and, and, and my uncle to serve God with all their heart. And they chose to do that, and they established their house on the rock. And then my dad and my uncle, they established their house on that same rock. And then the, my, my dad taught my, my sisters and I to establish our homes on that rock of Jesus Christ. And then now we taught our son and our daughter to establish their homes on, on that rock of Jesus Christ. And I see, you know, the next generation is coming um, just months away now, and there's... There's generations in Trevor's past that are going to help that new generation establish themselves on that rock. We're going to invest ourselves. Josie and Trevor are going to invest themselves in establishing on that rock of Jesus Christ. So when we talk about the rock of ages, think of the hope and the, and the peace that that can give us as from generation to generation we establish ourselves on that rock and we have that hope, we have that peace it's an incredible thing. Uh, you know, I've, I've said that. I've, and when I was a kid, we sung that song, Rock of Ages, Cleft for Me. And, and, I, and I never really thought about it that much. But as you think about Rock of Ages, if you think about ages as generation to generation to generation to generation, I have hope for the generations that come, however long Jesus might tarry, of my family being able to establish themselves on the same rock that my grandparents did and their parents did before them. Um, you know, I have I have an ancestor. I, I've got a pot. Uh, it's a it's a really ugly little uh, pitcher. It's a, it's a blue pitcher that is probably I don't, one of the most things I value most in my house. It came across on the Mayflower. Is at least that's the story that the family tells by one of my ancestors who was uh, uh, like the, the, pa- the chaplain on the Mayflower. And that, that blue picture represents the rock of ages in my family. That man came over on the Mayflower, and he was the chaplain on the Mayflower, and generation after generation after generation, you know, the picture doesn't mean anything. It just reminds me of that. My family has been established on the rock of ages, going back further than any of us can even remember, probably. And that's the hope and the peace that we have. So just that, 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 those, those few words, rock of ages, what a peace, what a hope, what a reason to praise and worship God, amen? Um, the rock of all ages, the king of all kings. You know, think about king of, you know, we, we say king of kings, 
We see those phrases in, in throughout Scripture. We find them in, in Psalms and, and Proverbs and different places where he's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. But you think about the King of kings. Okay, that's the supreme ruler, right? I mean, he's not just the king. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. There's, there's nobody higher. There's nobody greater. Um, the ruler of heaven and earth. More precious than diamonds, purer than gold. There's no measure of what you're worth. The, the thrust of these lines, are we've, we've entered into his presence. We're standing in his throne room. We're standing uh, in the Holy of Holies. And now we're telling him the reasons that we love him and all the, all the reasons that he's praiseworthy. And at the end, you know, there's no measure of what you're worth. He's beyond really what we can adequately put into words. He's beyond what we can really adequately describe um, you know, going back to I started out to write a, a love song for my wife, and I've never been able to do it because I don't feel like the words that I have are worthy of the way that I really feel about her and who she is in my life. But I can write a song to God because I know I'm going to fall short, and he knows I'm going to fall short, and so I'm, I'm doing the best that I can. When I write a song for her, she'd be fine with whatever I wrote. She'd think it was awesome, right? But it doesn't meet, it's not going to meet my standard for it. It's not going to meet my standard of expression. But the same thing applies to God. We're not going to meet the standard that we need to meet. But we don't have to because Jesus did that. You know, in the first verse, we already talked about his blood. We already talked about the sacrifice that he's made, that he washed us clean. We don't come to God with our righteousness. We don't come to God with our worth or our worthiness. We come to him clothed in Jesus' blood and in Jesus' righteousness. So I can write a song, and it's not a perfect song. I'm not saying that. But I can write a song for God based on his word and what he said and approach him knowing that I don't have to be good enough because Jesus already was. And I think that's kind of the beauty of, you know, I, um, there's, there's no measure of what you're worth. I can't express it, but that's okay, because Jesus did, and it's his righteousness that I'm clothed with. It's his blood that lets me stand in your presence. I wasn't worthy. I'm not worth it, but you chose me anyway, and and you clothed me with your righteousness, and that's what lets me come and praise you. The next line says, yet you rescued me through the gift of your son and grace that I didn't earn. If you, you can find a, a verse that, that addresses this in Ephesians chapter 2. Um, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Our salvation is the gift of God. And in fact, the faith that we have to believe on him, that came from him too. <laughs> it's nothing of ourself. It's nothing that, that we're worthy of. It's nothing that we've earned or ever can earn. It's his gift to us that allows us to have relationship with him. And you think about 
all the things that we said in those previous couple of lines to praise him, the rock of ages, king of kings, the um, more precious than diamonds, purer than gold, all of those things. That's who he is. And he chose to sacrifice himself for us. See, that's, that's why we praise him. That's why we love him. That's why we, he, it, um, before we loved him, he loved us. It's my greatest pleasure, my honor, my king, to sing this love song to you. So then the, that kind of wraps up kind of the praise portion. And all this is intended to be a praise and a worship song, but the three different parts have a little bit different thrust to them, right? So then we move into the, the third and the final part of the song. Um, and it starts out by saying, I read in the scripture your holy word of a drink offering poured out to you. Okay, so Second um, Timothy, uh, this is a this is this comes from Paul, um, and he's writing in Second Timothy chapter four, uh, starting in verse six. And Paul says, "For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, at at the time of my depart, and the time of my departure is at hand." I have fought the good fight and have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So it's interesting here because Paul talks about that I'm I'm about to be a drink offering poured out to, to, to God. And so when you look back in the Old Testament, you know, there was all kinds of different sacrifices that they were commanded to make in the Levitical law. And there were grain offerings and there were all kinds of different blood sacrifices that were made. And and each one had different purposes. And there's some interesting things about a a drink offering. Um, I don't know um, completely what Paul's mind was when he when he. wrote this um, obviously you know the the drink offering being poured out it's symbolizing that the end of Paul's race is coming right but there's some interesting things about the drink offering so even before the Le- Levitical law there's a couple places recorded in scripture where the drink offering was offered um, which is kind of interesting but during the time that the Israelites were were in the wilderness so those 40 years after they uh, left Egypt and before they entered the promised land, they did not offer a drink offering. And some of the thought there, so the drink offering would have been wine probably that was poured out. Um, that that was a, uh, the, the drink offering would have been a symbol of a celebration, um, and that kind of a thing. And so the thought is, you know, when they were wandering in the wilderness, uh, that God refrained from that celebration of the drink offering. And then when they went into the promised land, then that was time to celebrate and, and the drink offering was, was poured out. So it's kind of interesting when you think about the drink offering being something that was a celebration to God and, and Paul comparing himself to, the, to, to a drink offering being poured out um, and that being a celebration. Um, so I don't, I don't know um, exactly what Paul might have had in mind there other than 
it's symbolizing that the end is coming for Paul and that his life, uh, at least since his encounter with Christ, has been an offering to God. And at the end of that, the, the drink offering being poured out, it was coming to the end. Um, so, and then a race that is run and a, pri- or a crown that is won um, and the glory is given to you. Now, some t- a lot of times when I sing this, I sing a prize that is won, but I really mean a crown that is won, or I really want to sing a crown that is won, because um, the so um, in in this passage, Paul talks about the crown of righteousness that he wins for running his race. Okay, um, in another place, he uses the word prize. But if you look in Revelation um, in uh, chapter four and verse ten. It talks about the worship that occurs in front of God's throne. And it talks about elders before his throne. And there's some funny, some weird looking beasts that are there giving praise to God. But the elders actually cast their crowns um, in front of the throne or to the throne room or to the throne of God. And it's a, it's an act of worship. And the thought of, of, of running our race and winning a prize and then... Uh, a crown, winning a crown, and then being able to, at some point in worship, cast that crown that represents a life, a race well run, a life well lived before him, and the sacrifice that that was, and to be able to give him that glory by casting that crown uh, at his throne. Um, I, I don't know that there, there, there probably isn't a higher honor for a human to achieve than to, to run that race and achieve that crown and then to be able to give that glory to Jesus at the, at the end. Uh, and that's what I'm talking about here when, when we talk about the race being run, the crown that's won, and the glory being given to him. And then only you are worthy when I count up the cost of the sacrifice you do. And so in the first um, part of the song, when we talked about the sacrifice, we were talking about the sacrifice of praise, the praise with our lips. We, we looked at that um, passage in Hebrews that talked about that. In this one, I'm talking about, when I talk about only you are worthy when I count up the cost of the sacrifice you do, I'm talking about laying down my life and not necessarily to die, but to live for him. And, and, and if I have to die for him, fine. But to live my life for him, to run that race. And so the song becomes my way of saying the race, right? That Paul called it a race. I call it a love song. My life is a love song to you, and it's something that I lay out. So um, when I count up the cost, I want to look at, uh, at Luke uh, 14:28. Luke 14:28 says for which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost whether he has enough to finish it lest after he's laid the foundation and is not able to finish 
All who see it mock him, saying, The man that began to build was not able to finish. Or what king, going to make war against another king, does not sit down first and consider whether he's able with 10,000 to meet um, him who comes against him or with 20,000? Or else, while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. There's a cost to serving Christ. And and he's talking about it right here to, to count up the cost, to know it's going to take everything that you are and everything that you have to serve me. I'm not going to be satisfied with just Sunday morning. I'm not going to be satisfied with a few songs. I want everything. I want everything that you are and everything that you have dedicated to serving me, dedicated to worshiping me. And so when I talk about only you are worthy when I count up the cost, the cost is everything in my life being devoted to him. And he's the only one that's worth that. It's worth what is gained, though the world may be lost. I am a love song to you. Matthew thirteen forty four. it talks about, it's, Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven. And he says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid, and for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. The, the, the value of, of his kingdom, the value of being a son, a, a daughter of Christ, um, of, of being his disciple, of following him, laying, is worth laying down my life. Living my life for him. Living in a way that pleases him. And that's, um, that's what the love song is. The love song is my life. The love song is everything that I have. The cost of laying down my life is worth gaining your kingdom. And that's that. That's the uh, the when we sing love song. When you sing with me, that's what I. Uh, that's my heart, and that's what I hope your heart is when you sing that song. Is the love song is my life laid out for you, everything that I have laid down um, and, and given to you. Which brings us to. Uh, communion this morning um, if we could have a few guys come and spread the elements out that'd be great um, and um, I think this this song and and what we've talked about this morning really dovetails well with uh, communion and 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 what communion represents um, normally when we do communion, we look in First um, Corinthians chapter eleven. But this morning, I want to look at John chapter six. Now, in in First Corinthians, it's going to talk about examining yourself and and making sure that you're worthy of communion. Not just talks about that. That just means 
to look at our life and examine ourselves and make sure there's not sin in our life. Kind of as the, the first couple lines of this song talk about, you know, casting down our idols and making sure that there's not fleshly desires that come between us and the relationship with God. That's always important to do. Um, it tells us to not partake of communion un- unworthily. So we need to make sure that we've dealt with that sin in our life before we take communion. But I want I want you to look at um, what Jesus said um, that looks a lot of, like communion uh, to me. Um, and when when he said this, Jesus lost a lot of a lot of his followers. This is this is kind of a tough passage uh, to 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 digest. Uh, so he says, uh, "Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, that one may eat of it and not die." I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore quarreled among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up in the, at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead, he who eats this bread will live forever. Now that, that's a pretty hard word. We're going to eat flesh and drink blood, right? Well, if, as, you, as you read further down, he, his disciples, they're, they're pretty confused by what he's saying here. Um, are you promoting cam, cannibalism? Are we vampires now? And, and Jesus says, no. You need to understand, I speak to you on a spiritual plane. I'm talking to you in a spiritual way. And so his flesh and his blood was literally sacrificed, was literally poured out. And spiritually, that's our sustenance. We are sustained by his blood that was shed and his body that was broken for us. And so the the disciples... And, and some of his followers took that very literally, that they were literally going to take his flesh in their mouth when he was talking about, you're spiritually going to be sustained by the sacrifice of my body and by the sacrifice of my blood. And that's what's going to sustain your spirit. That's what's going to keep you alive and make you alive. Um, and so when we take communion, we are remembering the blood that he shed for us and the price that he paid for us, the spiritual sustenance that we have because of the sacrifice that he made when he, when his body was broken and his, and his blood was shed. Father God, we thank you this morning for, for, the, for the body of Jesus that was broken, for the gift that it is. Your, your word says that by Jesus' stripes we were healed. 
your, your word that we just read talks about the spiritual sustenance that that broken body and that shed blood is for us. We thank you for that. And we remember that this morning, Father God. Lord, in return, we, we lay our, our lives on the altar before you. Our lives are the worship, the love song that we bring to you as we partake of this communion, Father God. We thank you so much for, for the blood that was shed and the price that was paid, the broken body of Jesus Christ, the victory and the life that we have because of that. In Jesus' name, amen.